If you come to Beijing, there's two things you need to bring. Toilet paper and sparkling water. Welcome to the dead format. I can't remember what Ian says in our intro, but tonight there's no Ian. We decided to record a little bit early to make sure that we could get content out to everybody during the holidays, and I'm by myself tonight. So I had to recruit some heavy hitters all the way from China. Hey guys, it's Julian and James from Beijing, China. Hey guys, how's it going? Now you guys had an awesome week of traveling and playing Legacy, and honestly, I don't know how you do it. I went to the grocery store today, and I forgot what I went to the grocery store to get. And when I got home, I realized I forgot the one thing that I actually went to go get. So I don't know how you managed to travel all the way from Europe to China and crush this tournament. I'm amazed. I'm not sure if you would, if I should call it crushing it. Like I'm, I got a top 16 finish out of it, which is super sweet. But we've had other people actually really crush the tournament big time. Can't wait to talk about it. Now, I know there was a lot of talk on social media about this event in China. I saw a lot of outstanding people travel. Do you want to talk about the tournament setup and your connection to it, James, and, and how everything sort of went? Sure. So it's the annual Beijing Orlov Legacy Tournament. And we've been running this tournament in Beijing every year, I think for the past five or six years. It's always been the largest eternal tournament that's self-organized in mainland China. And it's it's a really great one. So the organizer really loves Lord of War, so there's some kind of reference to Orlov in there as Julian smiles, and he really loves Legacy. So every year we just put this together. It's a two-day tournament with a special cut to top 16, and the prizes, oh man, the prizes are just enormous. So we're talking about all cash prizes. I'm going to talk about this in US dollars, even though the payout is actually in Chinese denominations, but for a $40 entry, the there is a 9K prize pool this year. And all the prizes are guaranteed. So just to give you a frame of reference, the winner of this tournament paid $40 and won $3,000 in cash. So the ROI is insane. And we basically organize this every every year because we love legacy and we want to have a tournament that a lot of quite frankly a lot of chinese players they may not be able to travel to other countries to play in gps or magic fests or what have you and we want to give them a chance to play some legacy for high stakes and so that's the beijing orlov tournament you never ever see a tournament paying out in cash that's like 50 percent more than the entries that got taken 
the players that got in on that got a tremendous value. Yeah, certainly. And it's a lot of fun. What's also special about this year is that we made a conscientious effort to recruit foreign players to join us. So it was not just Julian who made the trip down here to China, but we also had a couple of other significant legacy players come in. And it's just great because, you know, the more people get exposed to legacy here in China, the more people play magic in China in general, the better we think it's going to be for the scene. So we're really happy to have the foreign visitors and players come by this year. Yeah, that was a murderer's row. I saw that Sean Brown from This Week in Legacy, he's he's the, the individual that writes that column for Goldfish, right? That's right. He's also the fearless leader of The Salt Mine, which is a on and off podcast from Australia. So Sean is now based in Japan. And so it wasn't that hard for him to uh, to come to, to China. So yeah, Sean Brown is has always been a huge supporter of Legacy, and it's really good to see him come and, and also top 16 the tournament with Canadian Threshold. That's awesome. I actually, I had listened to The Salt Mine quite a bit. I didn't know that that was his podcast. So that's, that's awesome. And Landon, Trophy, Trophy Extraordinaire was there. He got out of Thailand to make the trip over. Is that where he's at? That's right. So Eric Landon, E.W. Landon on Magic Online, I think one of the better reanimator players out there. Um, Julian, you called him a end boss for, for Magic Online? He certainly is the Magic Online end boss. Like if you want to go anywhere in Magic Online, you will face him many, many times. That's right. So he was also here and uh, he had a good time as well. I believe that in the years to come, there will be even more representation of international players because I think this year was the first year where we really put out the word that this tournament is like really big and amazing. And once the coverage goes online that we will put uh, on my website, at studio.com, I think even more people will become aware of it. And there were also some bigger names that wanted to come like we talked about Andrea Mangucci he actually was quite interested in coming had the World Magic Cup not been on so this tournament is only ever going to grow and grow because like James mentioned it's the craziest payout the the most the highest EV you can get in pretty much any legacy tournament around the globe uh, while also visiting like a really great area like we might talk about this later but James took us to so many amazing, amazing places like the Great Wall, the Forbidden City, I even saw the Summer Palace so I really believe that next year when this tournament is going to come around we might break okay this is pretty optimistic but we might get to over 200 players yeah certainly this year was the highest turnout I think we had historic turnout so we had 152 players so we're really happy to see that and we're very happy to see it continue to grow yeah i think once the on-demand videos come out with the coverage and julian i know that you have a huge following online for the premier league work that you do and i 100 percent agree with you guys that this event could take off it seemed like such a blast just sort of checking in on social media with all the people who i knew were there and China just seems like an amazing place to go visit. It certainly is. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad that so many people got a chance to go. Yeah, and we we really made a conscientious effort to reach out to the foreign players and that doesn't end with just the tournament. So, 
we were not we didn't have great internet to actually stream the matches, but we recorded all the feature matches. We completed the commentary, uh, bilingual commentary, so that it, it is in English for those who want to hear it. And I, I think Julian will be helping us distribute the the vods later. So we really want people to see the high level of legacy play that's been going on here. Oh yeah, and. If I'm at, like, I was super skeptical about doing it bilingual, but then once we did it at the event, it worked out so smooth. Like, it worked out really well, and I think it's going to be a blast for people to watch. I can't wait to see it. I got to see the meta game breakdown and the top 16 lists that got sent to me, and I can't, I sort of can't wait to dive in and start to talk about it because for larger legacy events, I think this is just sort of what we're gonna have there's an scg that we know is going to be legacy we're still not sure of the magic fest schedule so it seems like these locally organized mid mid-sized events are really going to be what the focus on legacy is going to be for the the time coming yeah it might like i think legacy has always been the kind of format that saw a lot of support in the private as in like non-wizard scene and it, i'm really happy to see that it's also like really taking off in China. I think Legacy is already pretty popular in China. But like you mentioned, is this the largest Legacy tournament in, in the history of the country? Might have been. Yes, I would say it is. Yeah, it's really easy to get Legacy growing when there's printing presses of dual lands flooding out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was, you know, that was just, so nice. I actually stoked up on 82. No, no, no. <laughs> no, actually, I got five, like, um, as a keepsake, I got five basic lands, four basic lands from Odyssey. And the shop actually gave me two Lano, like two free Chinese Lano wives. That was like really nice, like as a gesture. I enjoyed that. That's awesome. So let's let's talk about the metagame and what got brought. There were quite a few people, and I know that you guys in coverage went through and did the breakdown. What were the sort of trends that popped out from what people decided to bring? I would say, to me, the biggest surprise was to see that Show and Tell was actually the most played deck, followed by Eldrazi. I think we had six, looks like 16 Show and Tell decks and something like 14 Eldrazi decks as the most played decks. And while Eldrazi has been making kind of a comeback, comeback online, I didn't expect it to show up in Full Forces offline as well. It actually relegated Grixis Control to the third spot with, I believe, 13 decks played. And then we already had like Miracles in fourth place, which I would have believed to be the most played deck together with Grixis Control. Yeah, and what's interesting is that there was no Miracles deck that actually made the top 16. So my my good friend, uh, Wilson Hunter, and uh, you know, who, who's also, he and I are also working on Cardboard Live. That's, I guess, shameless plug. Uh, he, he brought Miracles, but uh, he had a couple of rough matchups. And so he was one of the the Miracles players that unfortunately did not advance to day two. But yes, to to echo what, what Julian is saying, it was uh, surprising to see the high turnout for show, Sneak and Show and Eldrazi. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see why sort of Eldrazi is seeing that resurgence back. It won the Grand Prix in Japan, and it, it really had a, had a tremendous showing at the Pro Tour too. And I know that seems like it was such a long time ago, but I didn't expect it to be as high, as highly represented at the Pro Tour, and it sort of just stayed around. The story of Miracles over the last month or two, it's really a story of it sort of falling off. I think everybody was worried that AK Miracles was taking the top spot and that 
sort of top shakeup just didn't end up mattering with how mid-range Legacy had gotten since the Pro Tour. And we're really starting to see people have a plan against Miracles and it really not performing up to the level that a lot of people thought that it would. So for me, the thing about Miracles right now is I really feel like the deck is at a breaking point. People have been stuffing so much value and draw and value into the deck. But in the meanwhile, they've been cutting like white spells a lot. So Miracles actually has gotten to a point where you will draw a lot of cards. You might even counter a lot of spells. But at the end of the day, you might still only have like one or two terminals that you can access during the entire game. So it, it's gone to this weird spot, and actually we noticed that. Like, we played a little bit of Magic last night. There were many games where it almost came down to decking once the other players started using Surgical Extraction on the white cards. It was quite hard for Miracles to... Like, they would still get the win reasonably often, but, yeah, right now I think Miracles is, like, super, super stressed and feels like maybe they should play a little more white cards. Like, I've actually seen lists that only play two Terminus now. That, that's so wide to me. It's old strength, at least against all of the decks that I usually bring to Legacy Tournaments, just leaned on the strength of Terminus. And now, it just seems like it's leaning on all of its card draw. And once you sort of get rid of that chaff of the cantrips and the card draw, it is kind of threat light. So, if you can make the card draw not matter, and take care of the Miracle's threats, they, they have a hard time winning. That's right. People have learned how to attack Miracle on a certain axis. Whether it's Sneak and Show or Reanimator going off fast, or whether it's Eldrazi with their bag of tricks, I think, or Grixis Control with some of their Black Planeswalkers, I think there are lots of ways that people are attacking Miracles. And I, I totally agree with what, what Julian's saying, that it's at a breaking point. All right, so you are the tournament organizers had a very unique two-day event where sort of day two isn't wasn't run as like a usual day two do do you guys want to talk about how that that two-day structure went and how the second day of the tournament uh was set up sure uh, maybe i'll talk about it a bit and then julian can also fill in because he experienced the oh yeah the unique day two yeah, yeah. so from an organizer perspective Again, one of the goals of the tournament is to give players exposure to high-stakes legacy who may not otherwise be able to, and also to give players a lot of play. So one of the things that we wanted to do was to get more people into a playoff round. So what happens is that we decided that the top 16 players from day one would advance to day two. And then we would have, in essence, a playoff bracket for all of the 16 players. We would group the 16 players into four groups of four. They would actually play at least three rounds each. And then what would happen after the mini sub playoffs is that the top four would then form the actual finals and uh, play each other for the grand prize and the trophy. So sort of like a World Cup preliminary setup? Yeah, yeah, I guess you could say that. Like, in a way, it actually reminded me of that. That sounds awesome. It definitely was awesome, especially like James mentioned early on, to a lot of people, and I only really realized this when I came here, this is like their big thing. This is 
their tournament of the year because they really don't have any exposure to high-level legacy otherwise. Uh, be it because they can't travel or it's like because there's just nothing in reach for them. So the, what the organizer tried to do is to give them an even bigger chance to play more legacy. Whereas like in a regular tournament, you're out if you get to your second loss most of the time. There's like a chance you can make it in. But here, like if you got two losses, you would still very likely make day two, where you're once again guaranteed three matches. So I think they definitely succeeded in giving that to the players. There's some other points that I would have maybe changed or adapted in the future. So like I mentioned, I really liked that it wasn't as punishing for your second loss on the first day. So it reduces variance. And I think that's actually something that's not bad. We we actually tried to do something similar in the Legacy Premier League, where we introduced uh, the lower bracket that's generally used in esports tournaments. And it felt like this was also something like, like a lower bracket that you could try and get out, out of. What I didn't like, but I think that's an easy fix in the future if they want to consider that. I think Sean Brown felt the same. Since it's a group stage, there's a chance that you will be tied on points. And the tiebreaker for that is your Swiss ranking on the first day. Uh, I think that's still the only way to really do it because like, if you use the, the first tiebreaker, it's going to be the same. And if you use the second tiebreaker, that's going to be really awkward. I think they still need to keep that. But what I would change is um, they made play draw dependent on your Swiss ranking from the first day. And I think they should just roll a die because, I mean, <laughs> I was one of those lower ranked players from, from the first Swiss ranking. But I really felt like it put me at a very, very big disadvantage to the point where it's like you basically need to go 3-0, which makes sense. But yeah, I feel like it's it was a little bit skewed towards the higher seats from the first day. But other than that, I really liked it, except for like... I think maybe you should actually run it without a time limit. Um, because we, we saw in the third round of the group stage, the fact that there was a time limit and the potential for draws, it create re created weird incentives. Or at least like just the third round, you run that without a time limit just to get around this thing. Because unlike a Swiss tournament, a group stage can be manipulated even more if you want to do that. And I think that wasn't really going on, but it definitely like put some players in weird spots where they definitely wanted to avoid draws. And I think it would be better if you were in the third round without a time limit. I loved that we did the, the top four with a best of five. Like that, that was really epic. You see two pre-board games and three post-board games. Uh, we casted all of those. And since we only had four of those matches, we were able to get all of those on camera. That uh, three actually had two semifinals and finals. That was amazing. That, that's something I would always opt like, for doing. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to just sort of roll the die for the play draw in the pool. Being the lowest ranked player in the pod and being on the draw three matches in a row is kind of a huge disadvantage. But also, if if you wanted to, if you had a larger player pool like you're expecting next year, you can you can also just take more players into day two, and make the pods a little bigger, and have the top two from each pod advance, or have more pods and do the same thing. To, so where you can really, really expand out the number of players that get that experience in day two. But the tournament setup sounded very exciting. And anytime I play in a tournament that has like a different sort of setup like that, it's always just a little bit more exciting to play in. Yeah, I mean, one of the things is that we're always trying to improve on the tournament experience. It is something that, quite frankly, is a labor of love and we're doing it for the players. And I think all of these pieces of feedback are super valuable. And we definitely will consider making changes for next year. So Julian, you actually got to play. 
But do you want to give a quick recap of how your tournament went start to finish, how everything went? I think everybody already knows that you are the elf master. We didn't even say it in the introductions, but <laughs> as soon as people heard your voice, they're probably already thinking about the Yoshi that you have in front of your web camera and no actually julian was playing miracles this tournament no i'm just kidding <laughs> man you i was gonna have to edit out that whole last minute <laughs> <laughs> actually if i had played elves i would have actually played miracles but i mean i cannot go to china and not play elves i, I actually <laughs> believe that the deck is like pretty well positioned once i managed to really like crack the Grixis control matchup but other than that like i feel the deck is like in a pretty good position Obviously, spoiler alert, we know that you ended up making it into pool play for day two. Do you want to run through what your results were in day one, what your matchups were, how it sort of went, and then we can start to talk about how everything went in day two? Yeah, sure. So for the very first round, um, I actually ended up having a buy, which helped out quite a bit with tiebreakers and everything. Uh, for the second round, I expected to play someone from China, but instead I sat down um, across from Liam from New Zealand, who played Canadian Threshold uh, with a very interesting tech in the sideboard, Haunting of the, I think, Searing Wind, it might be. Uh, for those who don't know, it's a three mana enchantment that allows you to basically ping anything on the battlefield every upkeep. I ended up beating him. He had Diver, he had Cages, he had things, but li like he mentioned, he's not very ex super experienced in the matchup and it's also not a really good matchup for him so to me that that was like a pretty good start to the tournament afterwards we actually got a food break which is something i would definitely recommend for future tournaments as well like that was like a really cool thing so players could like load up on food and and be fresh for the future rounds in the third round i got paired against a and t storm uh, I think it's a decent matchup, especially if you play like a reasonable amount of sideboard hate, which I did. I ended up getting the guy with Archon of Valor's Reach, or like as we in the Elves community call him, Frank. So Frank <laughs> locked out all of my opponent's instants, and while he still had a lot of like draw spells, he couldn't really find anything to deal with it. And I eventually just took down the match that way. So at 3 and all, I was feeling pretty good. We already knew you needed to make like 6 and 2 at least to make day 2. Uh, but then I'm paired against Omnisneak. Um, not really much to say, like the matchup is horrible for me. I think I still, yeah, I stole one of the games. But yeah, that was my first loss of the tournament. Afterwards, it keeps continuing with, like, with the bad matchups. I'm facing Black Red Reanimator, the Eric Lenton special, even though it was not Eric himself. I managed to actually take two games of two matches, two games of him. In the first game, I'm racing a Chancellor that he puts into play on the first turn, but Elves is just too quick and I get there. In the second game, he just gets me pretty good, like getting Grizzlebrand on the first turn. And in the third game, I guess, I don't know. So here's what happened. I keep a 7, I have Surgical, couple of lands, Elves, so hand is okay. Opponent keeps 7, goes land, Dark Ritual, Entomb, Axiom. The moment he went Dark Ritual, I just put down my cards on the table, I started watching the matches on the other table and just gave him the basically F6 treatment, like keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Mm -hmm. He puts Axiom on the stack, I immediately flip over my Surgical Extraction. I'm like, yeah, got him, he's only got two cards left and just one land and play, no Grizzle Brands, this is gonna be good. I look at his last cards and his last cards are to Unmask. So maybe like, I don't know, 
there's a chance that that my whole show that I put on actually made him like not cast those two unmasks, those unmasks that he couldn't have used to get the surgical. I think that might have just been some bright lights. <laughs> maybe, maybe thinking that you're. I'm actually not sure. I think that there's no no way that you don't do that. Obviously, it's completely different when you're playing in a tournament and sitting down to. Yeah, of course. If you're all in on that turn one ritual and tomb exhum, you might as well use the last two cards in your hand to make sure the coast is clear. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I don't know. Maybe his nerves got him. Like that's a mistake that. You will not always make, but every once in a while people make stupid mistakes. Like, I forgot to play a land in the first turn. Sometimes. Not in this tournament, though. In the next round, I'm up against another Storm deck, A&T. Uh, I think I... Yeah. <laughs> Wait, there were only five A&Ts... There were only five Storm decks in the entire tournament. So, somehow you got matched up against just about all of them yeah so here's the thing when i came to beijing james told me this metagame is super fair you will only face fair decks i faced two storm decks a sneak and show and a black red reanimator <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah this storm deck he actually managed to beat me um at one point he had to hardcast massacre uh but that actually was the game i won oh yeah here okay this was amazing <clears throat> the guy had some super sweet tech you know what i lost the third game to he flipped two thing in the eyes using tendrils of agony. <laughs> that forgot me. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that was pretty good. That was really good. <laughs> so the things in the ice were just sort of a transformational sideboard plan or just sort of an extra an extra threat to get brought in against hate? I would think so. So basically they, they dodge a lot of sideboard hates, and at the same time, they also pro provide utility, like in potentially bouncing my entire board, or even just like random hate bears out of other decks, unless they are horrors, like Phyrexian Revoker. <laughs> didn't have that. So yeah, at that point I was five and now I was four and two, which meant that I needed to win my last two rounds in order to have a good chance at making day two. For the penultimate round of the day, I sit down across from Blue Red Diver, like super nice guy. Uh, he... I think also wasn't like I noticed that like Delver players often aren't very experienced in the elves matchup and they will also often outright tell me. Uh, I think mm -hmm. it's a big plus of elves that a lot of people aren't exposed to it a lot unless they play on Magic Online. And once again, I think it actually showed in this match as well. And I, yeah, even though he locked me under like Paramancer and Snaring Bridge, I ended up getting there and like choking him out of the game uh, but he, like to, to him that was fun and like we had a pretty good like even though for him it was the elimination from the tournament pretty much we had a pretty friendly and, and cool match so i enjoyed that a lot yeah so ensnaring bridge out of blue red delver is interesting yeah i was certainly like caught blindsided by it i was lucky that i had the yeah i brought in my abruptly case and the one assassin's trophy because otherwise i couldn't really get rid of it mm-hmm yeah, it's, it seems like that's a matchup that you want to have those black removal spells in just to be able to take care of an early Delver to give yourself a little bit more time. But that's not a card that I would usually expect out of blue-red. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. It sounds like in a lot of the matchups you've played so far, Archon of Valor's Reach seems like it would have lined up pretty good. Like, the only way that I can think of getting through Omnitel is putting that card in play off of a show-and-tell or having it having it natural ordered out super early. And that card's got to be a house against Storm, too. 
Yeah, uh, especially since I played main deck. So if you get it like in the first game against Storm, you name Sorcery, they usually have no way out of that. After sideboarding, it becomes tricky because they will bring in stuff like Chain of Vapor or other ways to bounce it. So you actually like, it depends on your hand, on the tex texture of the board and everything, whether you name Instant or Sorcery. Uh, and it's not very clear, like in this match against A&T I mentioned earlier on, I actually ended up naming Instant post-board as well, because like he gave me the vibe that he might have some discard spell, uh, some, some bounce spell, and also like depended a lot of his rituals. He ended up having three ponders and a preordain in hand. I still got there, but he later on told me it was surprisingly close. Yep. But overall, the Archon has been doing really well for me. Like, I played it a lot on Magic Online. Uh, James was so nice to actually get it for me because I didn't have it in paper. So, like, we got it from the store. Uh, it was super cool because it was actually Chinese, so I could give the give it to my opponents to read it because not everyone is familiar <laughs> with what the card actually does. But yeah, it, it's, a, it's a house. It's definitely a house. Yeah, I've never had the experience of traveling to a different... Well, I've been to Canada to play Magic, but never to a different continent to play Magic. How was the experience of going to China where the language is quite different and still sitting down and playing a, a full match of Legacy? To be honest, it actually wasn't all that different from like playing in European tournaments. There, there are certain parts of Europe, if, if you go there, your opponent is also not very likely to be able to communicate with you or like just like on a basic magic level, but that's enough. Stuff like target, attack, what have you, like those are things they transcend languages. Like, Chinese people also watch English coverage and they might not understand everything, but they understand the, the basic words, even if they don't speak English. So if you, yeah, I, I would say language barely ever was an issue. Like if you get a judge call and you want to explain what's going on, the judge speaks English, your opponent might not like understand what you're saying, but that's where like translations come in. But overall, I think it was pretty, pretty smooth. Like it wouldn't really be all that different whether I went to a tournament, say in Rome, or Barcelona, or like Beijing, like when it comes to communication. Yeah, we did our best to try and have a bilingual friendly environment. I would say that maybe for this one, we went out of our way. So as Julian said, we had a ton of judges on on site, and, and many of them were bilingual or translated. And in general, I don't think there were too many communication issues. Uh, generally speaking, the players all all understand at least at least they read English fairly well and so it's generally not too big a concern yeah I, I think the biggest issue might have actually been understanding uh, Liam's Kiwi accent <laughs> no just kidding <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's so great that with all the sort of crazy stuff that's going on in the world that the language of magic is something that can connect people no matter where you are so attack you with everybody and pay seven draw seven is universally understood yeah, definitely. So if that's something that's keeping you from coming to China for a future event, don't worry about it. Like I was a little bit worried about it because I wouldn't know what it was going to be like. But that's just this thing I would call like magic culture. And that just transcends languages, cultures. Like we're magic players and we know how the game works and that's that's what makes it work. That's so great. All right. So now we have your last round for day one. Yeah. So my last round, I'm really like... I want to get there. I want to make day two. I, I came here, so I want to do well, even though my girlfriend told me, like, oh, they invited you, so please like, please don't win the tournament. That would be rude. Like, oh. <laughs> 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 uh, 
<laughs> I mean, it's not like I could choose to win the tournament, right? <laughs> that that would be too easy. You like, just have the power in your fingertips. You can always invoke the win a tournament thing because uh, you're Julian. Oh, you you gotta teach those race to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, so so I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, please give me a good matchup. Like I've I've played a lot of things that were a little bit dicey. Maybe I can just like get something that's a little easier. I sit down, I lose the die roll, my opponent goes, turn one planes, mother of runes. I'm like, yes, <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> uh, I think we actually end up splitting the first two games. Like, Death in Texas, they've got so much hate, like, so much hate, they can actually steal games from you. Like, we've gotten to a point where I'm not even sure if they are actually our best matchup anymore. I'm still super happy to face them, but like he took a game from me, and that wasn't super surprising to me. Sideboard, sideboard games with Canonist and Containment Priest, along with the Mother of Runes. If, if you don't have a Reclamation Sage or a way of dealing with an early JIT, they can sort of lock down your abilities to play multiple spells. And I, I played Death and Taxes for a while, and while the game won elf matchup is so disgustingly bad once you get your hate bears in you can definitely take it yeah that, that has been my experience with the matchup as of late as well so we end up going to the third game it's pretty much back and forth uh, like you mentioned he gets all the hate bears out in the world and we pretty much enter this weird board state where nothing happens for a couple of turns we just like keep looking at, at each other until i i believe hardcast kraterhof behemoth attack him like on a very complicated board and he ends up making the correct blocks and he goes down to one life while i'm at um, i believe it was six or eight life he loses a couple of creatures in the process but not too many uh and then the action is back on him and here he has to make something work otherwise he's gonna die on the next turn because i think i also yeah i think i got a definitely a lethal attack lined up for the next turn the board is super complicated and I noticed that it takes him forever to make a decision. And, like, I still don't want to be, like, rude, even though, like, this is a super competitive tournament. I usually call judges on people, like, very early on if they take too long. Um, mm -hmm. For this guy, he was also, like, super nice. I ended up calling the judge after two minutes, which is, like, more than double of the time I would usually, like, give my opponents to make decisions. I felt a little bit sorry because I think he had never had that happen to him. But basically I asked the judge, can you watch our match for slow play? Uh, which he did. Uh, mm -hmm. Then another two minutes passed by. It was like four minutes. And you could see the judge was also getting nervous because he knew he had to do something about it. But it's like like the slow play thing is always this weird position where you know the player. He, he's not like, he doesn't have any ill intentions. He also wants to win the game. There's no point in like trying to get a draw. But he has to do something. And the player also noticed. So what he did is um, he eventually like looked at the board and under all the pressure of the judge watching and like the crowd together, he just picked up his cards and conceded the game, which was like a bit anticlimactic. But yeah, that that's basically how I got into day two. I think there there might have been an attack that would have let him survive maybe one more turn, but it was like super complicated to find. And I also didn't see it. Like I was actually happy that the action was on him because like if I if I had to do something on that board, I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> Pretty much. It's always tough when you're playing and you know that the game and the match is over unless you make the perfect decision. And I've definitely been in a spot like that where there's 10 minutes on the clock and it's game three and you have one more turn left. And it, it, does, it does sort of seem rough that you're hogging the clock, but if sometimes those decisions take a really long time to work through and... Man, 
judges making rulings on slow calls and on slow play in situations like that is so difficult. Yeah, it's definitely difficult. I think we. I do not envy them. Yeah, I think overall, this is gonna be something that Paper Magic might even face even more in the future as new players come in. Like that's the big thing about Magic right now. Through Arena, we're getting so many new players. But those players might actually be playing faster. I don't know. Like, people on Arena, they get angry with you. Like, if you don't make an action for, like, 10 seconds, they give you the yogo, yogo, yogo emote all the time. So, yep. <laughs> <laughs> James is laughing. He hasn't been exposed to Magic Arena That's yet. That's a new one Yeah, for me. They, those guys are really aggressive. They're used to, like, the pace of play from Hearthstone, which doesn't exist in Magic. Like, Magic is much more deliberate. Uh, yep. So I wonder whether like this is actually going to become a thing in paper tournaments where people get like angry at you for not making a play after like five to ten seconds. Yeah, it's it's really it's just so hard to enforce in paper magic. And I I remember being on the complete like on the completely other side where I was actually playing in round one of a big tournament against sort of a brand new legacy elves player, and we ended up going to time in round one. And it, it kind of worked out that I was in the draw bracket throughout the whole tournament, but getting an unintentional draw in round one because your opponent is new can just literally ruin your whole day if you're playing a nine-round tournament. Yeah, I think especially when it's a new player, a really nice way to go about it is to tell him that you think, like, especially if you notice it early on, right? It's not like it gets to a point where he takes, like, 20 minutes for one turn and then you're like, oh, damn. Uh, just to tell him that you think you both are playing at a pace that might not allow you to finish the match, even though you believe it's on him, but there's no point in saying that. Just tell him you both are playing like the match too slowly. And later on, when you call a judge, don't don't be like, my opponent is super slow, fuck this guy. Uh, you just like ask him to watch your match for slow play. And that's pr pretty much code for, for a judge to understand what you are saying without being like rude about it, which would be like, for the new player, it would be a bad experience for him. I'm not sure if the reason why I didn't do that was the opponent that I was playing was actually like a female and I I might I might not have treated my opponent the same way I would have treated like a male player and that could have been one of the reasons why I didn't end up doing that. I understand. Your day 1 ends up well. You probably end up getting to go out to some great places in China that night or sort of describe your your not not magic experience in China before we talk about day two. So I was lucky enough that Wilson and I, we actually had probably the perfect guide we could get for, for this event, like James. Uh, James, how long have you been living in China by now? It's been about seven years. Seven years. So this guy really knows the in and outs of Beijing. He's taking us to many, many awesome restaurants, places to see, bars. So... I think my full experience, where would I start? Like that night, we were actually invited by the the organizer of the tournament. Uh, I'm so bad with names, but Haobo. That's right. You got it. Good, good pronunciation. Yeah, yeah, you got it. <laughs> so he took us out to a hot pot, which I had never done before, but I had m heard many things about. And we ended up trying some really delicious dishes, uh, including cow intestines. Yeah, yeah. Cow, cow intestines. We had beef, lamb. Yeah. We had really awesome dipping sauce and we had pure alcohol like we also had that sweet garlic <laughs> thing we had that sweet garlic yeah that thing. Was oh the alcohol yeah we should talk about the alcohol yeah that was like the, i kept asking what is it what is it when, when you're about to order because like i don't like beer but they suggested something else and 
everybody was like shrugging and they were like, yeah, I think it's actually pure alcohol. So it was like 98%. I still can't believe that. Something like <laughs> was, that. Was it like a choke or something? It certainly tasted like pure alcohol. I was actually scared we would go blind, but it tasted, well, like it was supposed to taste and it did what it was supposed to do. So I liked that a lot. Yeah, so if I may say that, like the, the Chinese community has been like super warm and welcoming to us. Like not only because they like took us out for dinner that night, when we were like in the booth casting or like between rounds, they would constantly order food and drinks. So they took really, they took really good care of us. That was like a very good experience as well. Something else we did, uh, I think uh, a couple of days ago, is that James took us to the Great Wall. And we actually ended up not going to Baraling, which is the most touristy place. Uh, we went to... Mutianyu. Exactly, I was about to say that. <laughs> Take the words out of your mouth. Yeah, uh, it was really great, like really good weather. Not a lot of people, like I've seen pictures where it's like so crowded and you told me that people can't move, but we actually moved around super freely, took a couple of amazing pictures and also made... We improved our haggling skills of the local population. Uh, so what I learned is when somebody asks like 150 kwai of you for something, you can actually get up, end up getting it for 15 or 10. And that was a new experience because we don't really do that in Germany. Uh, but James mm -hmm. like was really looking down on Wilson and my uh, negotiating skills. <laughs> as we were like, I think I paid like, I don't know, $5 for a bottle of water <laughs> in the beginning. <laughs> and you could tell that James was not impressed. I think Wilson way overpaid for his beanie. And the beanie said Great Wall, but we made fun of him the whole time. And we said, it should actually say Great Fish, because that's what you are, a big fish. <laughs> <laughs> he enjoyed that. Yeah, he was wearing it with pride. It, it de definitely gave away that he was willing to overpay on a lot of things. You know you've paid too much when the final price you paid on the the beanie after final negotiations is actually 50% higher than the opening price of, of the something thing. that the identical next vendor gives you. <laughs> so he, he learned a hard lesson, but uh, live and learn, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's so great that this sort of environment for the tournament had so much extra other than magic because man here in the states there are so many players that will travel to a grand sorry that will travel to a magic fest or star city weekend where it's just hotel convention center magic and having sort of like the backdrop of all of those amazing things just makes that makes that seem so much better yeah i, I would definitely recommend that if you want to come to the events in the future, try to make it a, a week, you know, try to try to have time to see what Beijing and China has to offer. We also had fun last night just playing at a at a bar or at a at a coffee spot. You know, we had six players from six different countries all play Legacy, uh, including uh, end boss Eric Landon. So <laughs> shout out to Eric. So, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun to just come and explore and see what the country has to offer. Also, big shout out to the Beijing subway system, which thus far I've been to many places, but it's really far and away the best subway system I've ever been to. Not only because it's super cheap, but it's also like so convenient. It's so interconnected, works so well. And yeah, on top of that, you pay like 40 cents for a ride anywhere in town. That's that's wild. On to day two. And the losing begins. <laughs> <laughs> so... I knew that coming into day two, I would need to go 3-0 and to, to advance from the group because of the way the tiebreaker system worked. In the first round, I'm paired up against, I think it, he was the former national champion of China, which I was told about. Yeah, it was Lu Chao. So he was a previous uh, 
Magic World Champion for China. And what th- champion? Uh, I'm sorry. The 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 yeah. He played. He represented China. I think it was uh, several years ago. But I think it was last year. He his team top aided the World Cup. The 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 team World Cup. Oh, that I didn't even know that. <laughs> but I know I, I actually certainly noticed in the first day. Like I didn't know him, but he had the the mannerisms of like a really good player. Um, I don't know. Like sometimes when you watch somebody play, you know. They are good, even though you're not watching the actual action. And that's the vibe I got from him. So I'm paired up against him. He's on Grixis control. I know about that. Uh, the matchup, I think, is okay-ish, even though I would love to actually like be in a position where I can crush it. Because technically, elves, like the way it's supposed to be is that you're really good against grindy control decks. But against this deck, not so much. So I end up losing. Pretty sure I could have played this better on a couple of occasions. Uh, but then there was also like the thing that happened that... Like, every Elves player knows what I'm talking about. As you're getting ready to natural order for Progenitus, you're like, okay, I'm going to untap, I'm going to... Oh, shit, I'd do Progenitus. <laughs> so I end up getting this super really awkward natural order for, like, a Beomoth that just, like, randomly deals some damage to him. And, like, later on, he looks at me, and I show him the Progenitus from hand, and, and he tells me in, in pretty good English, actually, you get this, I lose. And I, I feel like, yeah... That's what I wanted to do. So anyway, I lose that one, which almost puts me out of contention for winning the group, unless like the, the, there's a draw later on in one of the further rounds between the top players. Uh, and like I mentioned, the tournament structure lends itself to never producing any draws, pretty much, for, unfortunately. So yeah, next round, I'm up against Blue Black Shadow. It's the feature match. And I think it was one of the best matches I played in the tournament night not from my level of play but like from all the things that were going on in the match uh, I think it went over three games James and Wilson were commentating on it and I'm really looking forward to what you guys had to say about that match because it was pretty close uh, I think it could have gone either way but eventually I, I managed to get there so for the last round they put me up against green black green white black maverick uh, which on paper is a good match up for you it's like yeah, I think it's reasonably good. Like, it's actually quite good, to be honest. Even though they have stuff like Seller's Persecution and Get a Teak, uh, they can only have so much hate. And, like, the way magic is supposed to go, if your opponent actually ends up having a lot of hate, then you're probably behind, but it's not likely they do. So, in this match, it wasn't about Seller's Persecution, it wasn't about Get Teak. Like, I think I could have beaten both of those. Spoiler, I lost. Uh, but the card that got me really good was uh, Thalia Heretic Cathar. As I'm looking at the deck list, I actually want to see how many of those he has. Thalia. Oh, he's got. A, it's a one of. Okay. <laughs> 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 one of Progenitus, one of Thalia. Yeah, that, that's. That card is so good. Like, if you get, like, Canonist and Thalia, it's. It's almost lights out for Elves. Like, I had to to blow my removal on this Chitter because Chitter is scary. And looking back, I think that was actually a mistake because killing Chitter was the conservative play. He wasn't threatening to actually connect with it, but I was still scared of it. Whereas, had I taken, like, had I made the ballsy play of going of first hate bears, I think I might have won it. But yeah, I was too scared. I was too scared to actually get there. As I learned later on, um, had I won that match, the way things played out, I would have actually topped the group. But since. There was like an intentional draw that ended in a concession. I couldn't have gotten there anyway. But yeah, that was like actually okay, I would say, because like no matter whether I had won or lost, I guess I would have finished in a slightly higher position for more money. But it's like at this point, it's not about the money. It's about like getting there. Like I really wanted to do the, to do this. Like even though I I saw that it was gonna be quite hard, I really wanted to top four this event just to like have a 
top eight or top four finish like in China. That would be so cool. Yeah, at some point it stops being about the money and just it's about pride and wanting to win. Even even if you're playing at a small sixty person one K, the obviously the money that you're gonna win at the end is nice, but just people wanna win and that's the most important thing. Yeah, yeah, that that's how I felt. But yeah, my opponent played super well, like incredibly well. You could st certainly tell that he was super experienced with the deck. And I think also the matchup. So I guess there's no shame in losing, but there's always there's always next year. I am so happy to have you guys on to give the wrap-up of this event because just sort of getting to observe it on social media, I was jealous of all of the people that were there. And hearing this rundown and all of your experiences at the tournament and outside of the venue make me want to go to this so much more. I mean, that's that's part of the reason why, why we did put on all this coverage, right? We really would like to introduce even more Western or like wherever you're from players to, to the Chinese legacy scene. Because like James mentioned, for the organizers, this is really a labor of love and they're not making any money of this, but they are really into legacy. I remember when we talked to them later on when we had like a, a lunch, a dinner together, They, some of them, they didn't speak English very well, but reasonably well. But one thing they could actually like express and really made a point in expressing English is telling us about how much they love legacy and like how this is the thing that they are putting on for the community, for the players. And actually like it, it's, so, it's such a wholesome thing because like we mentioned, there's players who can't like travel. So everything you put on in Beijing or Shanghai or Guangzhou, that, that's what they're going to have. So this is, this is the, to them, that's amazing. And I'm so happy that this is actually taking place. Yeah, I'm really happy too. I mean, that's the thing about this beautiful game is that Julian, you and I met through magic and it's the same with me and uh, Tom and Ian and Jerry and these guys and Wilson. And it's just this great international game that just brings everyone together. And amazing food. Oh God, we had so much amazing food. That's probably because James took us to the right places. But yeah, this this to me is, has been a huge part of the experience as well. Yeah, this looking like sort of going beyond the group play and looking at the top eight or top four, this seemed like the most fair selection of decks that I've seen in a really long time. Obviously, the Grand Prix in Japan was super fair as well, but two burn decks in the top eight <laughs> is is something that not a lot of people would have predicted yeah me neither there must have been somebody who got paired against all these unfair decks on the first day and managed to beat them i don't know <laughs> <laughs> nice nice job julian clearing clearing the way for the eidolon of the great rebel yeah it was a it was a great top eight so we had rixus delver uh, taking the entire tournament, and as Julian alluded to before, the Grixis Delver player actually did not lose a single round of the tournament. So in day one or in day two, he basically crushed all the way to the finals. What's his name? You're much better with pronouncing uh, this. His name is Xinrong. Uh, let's just call him Mr. Mr. Chen. Mr. Chen. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually his last name. This that's is his last name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't make that up. It's not. It's not like Mr. It's not a made-up name, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he played really well, and uh, uh, he didn't drop a single round. And I think he might be the second Chinese player to do that. I, I believe there was a Chinese player this year at a Grand Prix that went undefeated in a Grand Prix. Like, he literally did not lose a single round of Magic. And uh, this is somebody who 
did something similar over what was it eight rounds in in day one and then it was uh i think it was a lot it must have been a, must have been at least 13 so 13. 13 rounds yeah. of magic yeah he, 13 he undefeated in 13 rounds of magic so shout out uh congrats to him yeah i really i really like this list four young pyromancer and 10 cantrips total they're playing the regular four brainstorm four ponder but also to preordain to go along with their threat package. And I think that this is sort of like what the new stock Grixis Delver lists are, only there's no bitter blossom in this list. Uh, they're just jamming an extra young pyromancer. That's right. So we have, as I told you guys before, my own personal take is that four young pyromancers is correct. I also like the fact that he went up to a third angler and is actually running one of Braid in the main deck. He he is running Bitter Blossom, but as a one of in the sideboard. So I really like this list, and I I am planning to give it a run soon at uh, at my local weekly. Yeah. So as soon as the final is finished, James look, looks at me and he's like, "I will play this." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that that was first place, Grixis Delver. We had in, in in second and fourth place, we had Eldrazi. I'm not sure, Tom, if you want me to just go through them all or go through the deck list in more detail. Yeah, well, I mean, we we on this cast talked about Eldrazi quite a bit because I ended up making the decision to just play it. And that's something that was sort of outside of the range of usual decks that I would play. So we've talked quite a bit about why Eldrazi is well positioned right now and what's going on with it. So we can sort of skip it because I didn't see anything super interesting in the list. They're... they're fairly straightforward yeah i think there was a i think one of the lists is literally 73 out of 75 cards from the gp japan top eight that recently happened and also tom i I enjoyed your rationale in your previous episode about why you played aldrazi and the the leaving a legacy open and all that stuff so shout out to you for that (laughs) oh shit i'm i'm still amazed that people listen (laughs) <laughs> I showed up to that tournament and people were like, man, like you, you guys are doing a great job. And I was like, oh man, I, people, people actually fucking download our shitty podcast. Oh, I've heard, I've heard the same when James told me that like people here, they talk about stuff that I would put on the internet because like, I don't know, it's like 10,000 kilometers away and, and you put something on the internet and people in Beijing are actually like consuming it and you come to the tournament and people talk to you about it and they're actually like, there was this one guy, maybe you remember his name at the website, he actually like had a very special playmate that he gave to Wilson and me like as a thank you and that was also really cool. Like the, the international magic community is even more connected than you would sometimes think. Yeah, just as as like all obviously all of us do content, but I that was my first experience at having people like comment on the stuff that we were doing, and it still just blows me away anytime I get a message about it. And you guys do way more than I do. It's it's just I I hope that feeling never goes away. I don't know. I'm I'm I really like that you. I think you're putting out a podcast every week now. That's something I really look up to because I know how much work that is. Like editing and everything, oh, I don't know where you're taking the time from, but... Yep, it's out of my sleep schedule. That's where that's where it's coming out of. <laughs> oh, that's how we make it work. <laughs> yep. So we had the Eldrazi. I guess the only unfair deck that was in it was the Tin Fins deck or Depths Fins that finished in fifth. Yeah, that was a really 
That was a really interesting one. So shout out to my friend Yeet from Turkey, who is a Beijing regular and piloted the deck. It is a very unique concoction. Some people have called it the Matt Nass build because I believe he streams or plays the deck fairly regularly. But essentially, it's got the Children of Corliss package going on. It's also got the 2020 Merit Lage thing going on. So it, it, it's sort of interesting. It attacks from different angles and it also has a wishboard. It has a living wishboard, which is really fascinating, at least to me. Yeah, I think Matt Nass had played it in the last two Legacy Grand Prix, and I remember watching the coverage, and Wilson, our, bo our boy Wilson, was playing a Blood Moon-based Grixis control deck where he had written a little bit about why he was cutting his graveyard hate and didn't have any surgicals and had maybe one copy of an artifact-based graveyard hate card in the sideboard, and on camera, he played against Matt Nass, and ended up winning the match against this brutally fast Tinfins deck with zero graveyard hate. <laughs> yeah, it just speaks to magic and maybe speaks to a little bit about how strong a player Wilson can be. So speaking of that, you guys had a big announcement with your company. Yes, Wilson, Hunter, and I have been working on Cardboard Live for most of this year. We, we started a company together and we really are looking to revolutionize the way that uh, people view and experience uh, uh, table tabletop games online in a, in a streaming format. So we know that's happening basically every day today, but we built some things that we think are really cool and will take the viewing experience even further. So a, a couple of cool things happened this year. So we we had we signed a partnership deal with Star City Games, so they're now using our decklist extension in all of their live broadcasts for the Star City versus Live series, which I believe happens twice a week or, or once a week, depending on the schedule. We also have started to pilot uh, or Star City Games has started to use our software on their Twitch streams for all of their SCG opens and invitationals going forward. So we, um, their latest invitational had us on the camera. You could see the players' deck lists and player biographies in real time. And they used us in the, the cube draft portion. And they will continue to use partner with Cardboard Live for the foreseeable future. So we're really excited about that. And uh, we're looking forward to a a really awesome partnership in 2019. Uh, we've also been uh, do, you know, doing things with our product to help Magic Online and Arena streamers. Our, our extension is now fully compatible with other extensions like Deckmaster, so you can run two extensions at the same time, which means that you can show Arena Deckmaster. You can also show the Cardboard Live extension at the same time. So there's a lot of things, exciting things that we have rolling out as far as the actual product and we're super super excited about everything yeah it's great to see the product picking up so much steam i remember the first leaving a legacy tournament that it was piloted at my wife was checking it out at home and she said that it was outstanding and people were were raving about it and to see it on such a bigger stage to go from the league of leaving a legacy tournament to the uh, 10k cube draft and the invitational is just great and the fact that it's going to be featured on all of the star city games streams on twitch it's it's just going to do great things for you guys so i'm 
I'm really excited for you. Thank you, Tom. Really appreciate that. And we've also just recently announced something which, you know, all fans or people who are interested in this, this company can get involved in. So we've started a crowdfunding campaign on a platform called Republic. So what this means is that if you guys really believe in the mission of Cardboard Live and actually want to own equity in the company, we've opened it up so that individual investors can invest in Cardboard Live. And uh, assuming that we do well, of course, there's no guarantee when, we, when you're talking about startup companies, but assuming that we do well, uh, hopefully we want people who are investors to, to also benefit. So uh, we're really excited about that. And, uh, you know, we can get we can definitely send out a little bit more details about that. And Wilson and I are always happy to answer any questions you may have about the crowdfunding campaign. All right. So one more one more thing we're getting through. We're getting through all the plugs. I bought your book after we had you on the cast last time. And I finally got around to reading it. I felt bad last time we talked because the only thing that I could comment on was the title. I was like, yeah, that's <laughs> that was a great, great choice of words for the title because I hadn't read your book. But it it was, I felt like my story was sort of mirrored in there. I, I feel like, obviously, the, the tournament rundowns that you gave were great. It was like sort of reading the source after somebody played a tournament. But the intermediate commentary on life and how magic sort of worked its way in there was really great to read. So I can't wait for you to actually sign it once we get to meet up again. Thanks for reading, Tom. I, I really appreciate that. And uh, just just FYI, the, the book title is called Magic the Addiction. And it's a chronicle of my own experiences as a magic player. And uh, it was very cathartic writing it because I wrote the book at a time when I was really at rock bottom in terms of how I how I viewed magic and it was through writing the book that I managed to crawl myself out of that hole and uh, I'm really glad to be doing magic stuff and magic content with you guys and to have met you guys because I kept it up and I'm really fortunate to have then run into Wilson and uh, started working on Cardboard Live together so um, I, I, I would say that my story is nothing special but it is at least very similar to a lot of frustrations highs and lows that magic players have. I could definitely recommend the book. And for a moment, I thought you were going to say, my story is not finished. So I was hoping there might be like a volume two coming <laughs> up. <laughs> but yeah, if you, if you haven't checked out the book yet, um, James is probably one of the best writers and interviewers in All of Magic right now. and With the exception of Tom and Ian. I mean, I mean they, they are our demigods, <laughs> right? They are above everything. <laughs> no, but seriously, like if, if you want to read about that and... Also, like, maybe even have something to read that's not actually focused on, on the gameplay itself. Like, your book actually is something that, that you could read even if you didn't play Magic, right? You would say that? Yeah, I would also say. Like, actually, you gave me a couple of copies when it came out, and I distributed it to a couple of friends, even those who are not, like, really into Magic, and they also liked it. So that's something, if you haven't checked the book out yet, it's probably, like, a must-read for any Magic player, I would even say. It's not even, like, tied to Legacy, right? Even though, like... It, it's really about gaming and just about obsession and what happens when you get too invested in something and you put your, I'm sure we've all been there at some point, you put a lot of your self-worth into a hobby or a thing that you do. And so the results really start to affect you. And most of the time, as we know in Magic, it's you have to lose a lot before you, you start winning. And so 
that's that's really what it's about also maybe we can get uh, i've been talking to james about this quite a lot i want an audiobook version i want uh will wheaton to read it <laughs> <laughs> maybe you can make that part of your patreon or something i, I love will wheaton but i think uh I'm, he's a little bit too uh up in the clouds right now but uh you know, after after the book, I it was actually Julian that really inspired me to then do the Humans and Magic podcast because, you know, I thought I've written enough about myself. You know, I really want to tell stories of other Magic players. And, and uh, I, I, you know, I think this was also a year, 2018, where I really enjoyed doing that and, and, and connecting with people of different backgrounds in Magic. So it's sort of like, you know, it's enough about me and uh, more about other people now. <laughs> Yeah, I the reason why I brought up Magic the Addiction was I know that you have another book in the works, the Humans of Magic book, which is sort of a compilation of the Humans of Magic podcast. And I was blown away by some of the episodes that you had this year. The John Finkel, Emma Handy, Jonathan Sukenik episodes were just absolutely, they absolutely blew me away with sort of how you balanced getting down to the personal conversations and then tying in the magic content and, and sort of giving a, a view of them as an entire person. With the Humans and Magic stuff, it's really meant to be just more about the players as opposed to the gameplay. But because of my very, very, very strong legacy bias, I can't help but try to interview legacy players so every every even if i'm interviewing john finko i always i try to ask a a legacy or eternal question in there just throw it in there you know um but yeah i i really enjoy that podcast and i think i'm looking forward to doing more in next year what the book is really about is i didn't want to do a straight transcription of the interviews basically you know i've seen people do that and it's it's great but I wanted to go a little bit more because through talking to all these talented and wonderful magic players, I realized that there's a lot of similarities that and themes that they're touching on. And so the book is really going to try and combine a lot of the things that I've learned from doing it and also maybe get the guests to revisit the interviews after they read what they had to say and, you know, look back on it with, you know, rose colored glasses and, and, and see what what they can learn from or, or where they are differently in the world compared to when, when we sat down and talked. So, you know, I'm really excited about the project. Uh, I think right now it's going a little slowly because of Cardboard Live and all the stuff that Wilson and I are focusing on, but it is something that is very much a, a labor of love, and I do want to get it out there at some point. Outstanding. And Julian, I I really just wanted to say that it was a pleasure to talk to you finally. I obviously knew who you were from Magic Online and the Premier Leagues, but do you want to talk about what you have sort of lined up this year for the LPL or or any future plans for that? Honestly, I'm actually trying to take back a step from Magic a little bit. Like, I already did. Actually, I already did this year. Um, I feel like there's other stuff I should focus on. I still want to do like the streaming thing. Um, but what I'm not actually looking to do in the next year is to attend basically like in the past, like for the far past almost eight years, I think I might have attended every reasonably big legacy event in Europe and then even like some in Vegas, New York, uh, Beijing. And it actually started like wearing me out. 
in many ways. And that's something I've decided for this year that like I really want to focus on fewer things, but do them better. Uh, so something I want to continue, I mentioned like it's the streaming. And when the time comes around, it makes sense. Also the next season of the Legacy Premier League, but boy, that's a lot of work. And that's already it. Like uh, I'm looking to to record a couple of podcast episodes a time for our own podcast that's sometimes on, sometimes off, Everyday Journal. Uh, but I'm making, and I already started making a very conscious effort to like focus on fewer things because I was somewhat like, doing too many things and that's the big thing for 2019 to do fewer things and to be happier about those because a lot of things i do like the premier league the podcast the streaming youtube whatever i always feel i'm only doing that to like if i'm generous i would say 80 percent. if i'm honest i would say 60 percent of the potential that thing actually has but at the same time i i made a decision to not put on like these crazy hours anymore like when the legacy premier league is on you will like have me awake until like four or five in the morning on a weekday where I have to work. And if you do that for like, how long does it run? Like two and a half months. It's tough, but the feedback is amazing. And that's why we want to keep doing it. But we might find a way to do it in a way that's less stressful for me. And that's what I'm looking forward to because the the project itself is amazing. Like we had had people from, for example, like, okay, here's the thing. The Brazilian Legacy Championship contacted us whether we could guarantee a spot for their champion. Because they are actually watching it, like in source. So shout out to Brazil if, if you guys are watching this or listening to this. Um, they are getting together, watching our league in their store. So they actually contacted us. And we couldn't make that commitment because we don't know what the format of the next league is going to look like. But like, this is why you do content. Like, You have no idea how many people you actually reach until they come back to you and tell you about it. And that feels amazing. Yeah, it's a super mature way of looking at time management and sort of what your view is on the world because there are so many people that would just keep on pushing and keep on pushing and burn themselves out and just end all of it and trying to focus on the important things and putting more effort into that. Just that's what adults do. <laughs> yeah, well, it took me only 33 years to consider my, start considering myself an adult, <laughs> at least yeah, in that regard. <laughs> I'm, I'm almost 40, Julian, and I'm not a fucking adult. Oh, I'm not, we, we will see about that. Let's talk next year. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all trying to figure it out. I think the one thing I sort of just took from what Julian just said is just that you really have to take care of yourself before you can deliver value to other people. At the end of the day, people want to see Julian alive to do content. And if you're, <laughs> if you're burning yourself out and you're really, you know, yeah. that's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough road. It's a long road. Just take care of yourself first and the rest will follow. That's great advice. All right. Do you guys have anything else that you want to talk about before we wrap up? Yeah, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but just a shout out to the magic community in China. It's very strong and we're always looking to to build bridges and be an ambassador for people who want to come and play some legacy or other formats. I, I think uh, I would highly encourage the listeners to consider that next year and to reach out to Julian or I or Wilson or anybody who's been here with any questions at all. Yeah. So my shout out would be, first of all, to James. Like without him, I wouldn't be sitting here and like having experienced all of this. But also actually to my girlfriend, it might sound super cheesy, but like she really loves China. Like it's the big thing for her. She's been here like on three occasions for like a very long time. And I think she would have loved to come, but didn't really work out with work. And it actually got me to a 
point where I felt really guilty about coming here. But she encouraged me like so much. No, no, you should come here. You should definitely come here. You should not miss this opportunity. And I feel so grateful for her like being that way because I'm pretty sure it was like quite hard for her not to go, even though like she she technically could have. But like if you have to work, you can't leave work. So yeah, Lisa, thank you. Thank you so much. Honestly, thank you too for coming on. I was extremely excited when James reached out to me with the topics that he wanted to talk about. And I'm glad that we could work this out where around the holidays, people are going to get to listen to two amazing content creators and me uh, <laughs> talk, talk a little bit about magic. Awesome. Thanks for having us. <laughs>